I think all wholesalers should really learn how to sometimes keep all the meat on the bone, not just the meat you created by finding the good deal, but the rest of the meat, which is in the value add. The Real Estate Funding Kit is out now. Learn how to get 100% funding for all your deals without dealing with the banks. Claim your free copy at myfundingkit.com. The key ingredient to really growing my business, growing my net worth, you know, making millions of dollars a year in real estate has been raising capital. And so I'm really passionate and excited about today's topic because if you learn how to raise capital, then really the sky's the limit. And that it really doesn't matter what strategies you end up doing in real estate. If you can raise capital, then you can get funding and you can put together all types of different deals. And that's really exciting. I've got a deal right now in Puerto Rico where I live. It's an oceanfront property. It's an $8.5 million buy. I've got to put some roads in and develop out 20 lots. We're going to spec some houses and then try to pre-sell. These are eight to $10 million homes. It's a big capital intensive project. And mm-hmm. I would have never dreamed of being able to put a deal like that together had I not learned how to raise money at an early stage when I got started. And you know, doing the $100,000 deals can now start to do the multi-million dollar deals. Learning that skill, it's something that a lot of new investors are intimidated by. But if you can start to really go down that road and start with the little deals, raise the money for those deals and continually develop out that ability to raise capital, it it really is life-changing. And I think it's the secret ingredient to really go places in this business and do big things. The way I like to look at real estate flipping particular is, first of all, I kind of want to get paint a big picture here. Most of your audience, I'm sure, are learning how to be acquisition engineers. And when I say acquisition engineer, meaning the ability to go out and source and find good deals that you can then somehow control, whether it's through creative financing, through a contract and buying cash, whether you end up wholesaling those deals, keeping them as rentals, fixing and flipping them, whatever it is, being able to master the art of acquisitions is such a valuable skill. In the beginning with with a low barrier to entry, most people wholesale. That's what I did. I wholesaled for a couple of years before I did any other strategies. And that's great because it's low risk, low barrier, and you can get some quick cash. It's a great way to get in the business. It's usually not the end-all be-all. Usually it's a pit stop. It's a stepping stone into other things. And one of those other things that's a natural progression is fix and flip. In that case, then you you go from you know marketing or implementing your time, energy, and effort to acquire that good deal to now taking it down. And when you take down real estate, you now inherit risk because you're on title now. As soon as you take title to real estate, inherently you take on risk, especially if you're putting your money or somebody else's money into buying that real estate. So the ability to then get the capital, whether it's your own money or somebody else's money to then take down the real estate opens up more opportunity to do a value add. And a value add usually is in the form of rehabbing, increasing the value by doing repairs on the property, and then being able to sell that property for a greater profit. It's kind of like wholesaling is you're, you're getting a little bit of the, of the meat on the bone and giving most of the meat on the bone to the flipper. Well, I think all wholesalers, all acquisition people should really learn how to be selective and sometimes keep all the meat on the bone, not just the meat you created by finding the good deal, but the rest of the meat, which is in the value add. I don't like to be a one trick pony. I don't like to teach people to be a one trick pony. I talk a lot about wholesaling, but really my passion is being able to find those deals, 
decide which ones make sense to keep, take down and flip. And the ones that don't make sense, pass those off. There's always another flipper that's happy to do low margin deals. So what I do is I I treat it like baseball and I look at, I want to keep the home run deals for myself where all that meets on the bone. And I'm talking, everyone's got a different definition of what a profitable deal is. To me, a home run deal is hitting 60, 70, $80,000 on a fix and flip. And on a reasonable fix and flip, I'm not talking like a complete gut, but like a normal fix and flip deal, a four or five month deal, being able to make 60 to 80,000. That's the type of deal that I think an acquisitions person should keep, learn how to raise the money, learn how to manage your rehab. You keep that $80,000 rather than pass it off for a 10 or 15 or $20,000 wholesale fee. The singles, doubles and triples that don't have those kinds of spreads, those ones you pass off and make your wholesale fee. Don't take on, don't tie up your bandwidth and time, energy and effort and resources in doing those low margin deals. So I'm kind of sharing here, like my mindset of how I look at deals. I want to be picky. I want to be choosy. I want to just do those home run deals, wholesale everything else. So what does that mean now? It means, well, when that home run deal comes along, I need to be able to act quickly. I got to be able to take action. I got to be able to close in two, three, four weeks on that deal which means I need to have access to capital. When we look at available capital in the marketplace, that right now, this will slow down a little bit and get more expensive as the market slows down. When the markets are good, access to capital is easy. It's fast, it's easy, it's cheap. I hope everybody, if, unless you're brand new, if you've been in the game a little bit, I hope you've been building relationships to money sources while it's easy and readily available. Because when times get tough, it's not that there's not deals. It's not that you can't make money. It's not that there's not buyers that want rehab houses. The challenge isn't that. It's a little bit that because now the expectations are higher. The big issue is the capital gets harder. It dries up. It gets more expensive. Less of it's available because it pulls back, right? Because now the risk is higher. Markets are shifting. So I think we will see as the market slows down a little bit, we'll see a tightening of capital. We'll see the money sources tighten up. And when I say tighten up, what that usually means is it means get more expensive because now they have to hedge more risk. Money looks at real estate and says, if there's a chance I might get this deal back, then I need to hedge that risk in the form of charging more. So that way the deals that go, we have, we have extra funds for the deals that go bad and we have to foreclose on. That's kind of how money looks at things. All that means is it means we need to look at money as a cost of doing business. We need to factor that into our formulas. Right now, it feels like the average going rates for hard money are anywhere from 10 to 12, 13%. Maybe anywhere from one to three points is on average about what money costs. And hard money will give you about 80% of the total capital needed. So if you're new right now and you're hearing me talk about hard money, hard money is institutional money. It's a fund that somebody put together with millions and sometimes billions of dollars. They pay a preferred rate to those investors that put their money in the fund. And then they turn around and lend it to you and me to go out and find and flip houses. Short-term capital, usually under a year is how long they want that money out, sometimes six months. That money's expensive because it's unconventional. It's not traditional financing. And so that hard money that's out there, that money is easy to get. Even if you have no experience, they'll give it to you if you've got a good deal. They'll give you that money, not all of it. They don't want to be 100% financed because that's risky, but they'll do 80%. If you've got experience, they'll do up to 90%. You know, I'm generalizing here, but 80 to 90% of the total money needed for the deal. So I'm talking money to buy it and money to rehab it. 
if you're new and even if you're not new and you're seasoned like me, the goal is to fund deals with 100% other people's money. What I teach how to do is how to go out and, and find that hard money. Like I said, it's readily available. It's easy. But you could just Google your market, you know, Nashville hard money lenders, and you're going to get a list of local active hard money lenders in your market, whatever market you're in. Reach out to them. They're not going to want to talk to you unless you have a deal. So you need to get a contract on a deal, which is kind of scary because you don't know where the money's coming from. Give yourself a 30-day close or longer. Get a contract. You, you look up a hard money lender. They're going to underwrite your deal. They're going to look at value. Some of them do an appraisal. Some of them do a desktop like review. They like the deal. They like the numbers. They're going to give you 80% roughly of the acquisition and the rehab money. And they're going to expect then that that other 20% is coming from you or somewhere else. When we get to the private money side, that's the secret ingredient. Hard money is easy because it's there, it's available. There's a bunch of them. The 80% is the easiest part of the whole thing. What's exciting about that is it means now I just got to go find 20% money, the second position money. There's ways to get that. It can be in the form of a line of credit. It can be your own personal funds. But what I want to do is I want to go raise private money. Private money now is just an individual. It's a person who's got access to some capital that will lend it to you in real estate. And they're happy to make 8, 10, 12% on their money. And these people are everywhere. And they're people that you don't even suspect sometimes. Most of my private money investors are IRA investors, which means it's someone that works corporate. They've got $25,000, dollars $100,000 in their IRA. I show them how to self-direct it, lend it to me on deals, and I'm off to the races doing deals. You don't need a lot because remember, it's the 20% capital that you're missing. So for example, if you need $200,000, let's say 150 to buy it, and you need 50 to rehab it, 200 total, and you can sell that deal for 300 fixed up. If you look at the, the 200 total, 80% of that is what? 160, so you need $40,000 in private money now. Do you know how accessible $40,000 is in the marketplace? So many people, people you go to church with, people your kids play baseball with, it's all around you, people that have $40,000. They may not know that it's accessible, that they can lend it to you in real estate. That's where you need to come in and educate them. I take people that have the $40,000 in an IRA, average people that work corporate America, I explain to them, hey, you can earn 8 to 10% on that money. It's safe, secured. It's, it's in a real estate deal. I'm going to pay it back in six months when I flip the house. That person then lends that money to you. That $40,000 gets you now to the 100%. And you're doing a deal that's going to make you $60,000 or whatever with none of your own money into the deal. The financing cost for hard money and private money, you know, you have those payments. We call that carrying cost. The cost of the financing, I call carrying costs because you're mm -hmm. carrying the property with financing. And so we factor that in. I like to factor in 6% of ARV, 6% of the after repair value is built into our formula. So we're building in 100% financing into the deal so that money's factored into the deal. So when I say, you know, make $60,000 on a deal, that's after paying financing costs to borrow 100% of the money. And if you think about it, how exciting is it to learn how to go find deals get 100% of the money, none of your money into the deal, take down that deal, do those repairs, turn around and resell that property and make $60,000 or 50 or whatever it is and make that in a four to six month period. That's pretty exciting to think that you can do a deal like that. And you can. I'm curious about the 20% where you raised from your 
kids baseball teams IRAs, do you pay them a percentage of that $60,000 or are you giving them more of a flat rate? Yeah. So there's two types of financing. There's debts or there's equity. When you give somebody a piece of the profit, now you're paying them an equity. Debt would be just a straight interest rate. So they get paid first. It's a percentage interest on the money they lend you and they get no equity on the profit of the deal. Or you could do a quasi, you could do debt and equity. So you could say, hey, I'll give you 6% interest on your money and I'll give you 20% of the profit. You could do 100% equity where you go straight to that baseball IRA and you say, hey, I need 200 grand for my deal. Give me all 200 grand and I'll give you half the profit when I flip the house or anything in between. There is no like right or wrong. You do want to think about the opportunity cost for equity over debt. I think that's a phenomenal question, Matt, because I've got deals that are 100% debt. I just pay interest on the money. And then I've got deals where I do all equity, where I don't make any payments, no interest on the debt, and they just get a piece of the action at the end. I think for kind of average size, normal size flips, equity, you're giving up too much money in the deal and you don't need to. Most people are happy with debt. They're happy Mm -hmm. with eight, 10, 12% interest. Where equity starts to make a lot more sense is peace of mind and stress. So for example, when I do my million dollar deals and I borrow debt and I've got a $10,000, a month payment on that debt, very stressful. Every month I'm making a $10,000 interest payment on the debt, super stressful. Sometimes I'll just do straight equity with, an, with one of my investors and I'm not making any payments. I don't have all this pressure. When we flip it, I'm happy to give 50% to the investor because we made $400,000 and I didn't have all the stress of the monthly payments. Sometimes you end up paying about the same anyway, depending on how long the deal is. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I'm paying 300000 in debt over an 18-month deal, let's say, maybe that's about the same as paying half the profit. I'd much rather have the less stress finance structure. So financing is all about your structure. What makes sense? We had a question from James, and I was going to go ahead and read it to you if that was okay. He's having trouble convincing private lenders to lend to him because people fear losing their nest eggs. So he's looking for more tools that will help him convince other people that it's safe to invest with him. This is actually a phenomenal question. I'm glad you brought this up. When you look at hard money as a comparison, it's very numbers driven. They don't care so much about you. It's not about their relationship or trust or anything. They strictly look at the numbers. If the numbers make sense, they'll lend on the deal. Private money is the complete opposite. Because it's an individual, because it's their nest egg or it's their IRA that they've been building for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, they're much more reluctant to part with that money, which means the way you attract private money is you have to focus on the trust factor. They're lending to you, not the deal. Now, you want to make sure they feel comfortable with the deal and people want to will not lend in something they don't understand. So if you can't explain the deal in a way that makes sense, they're not going to lend you the money first and foremost. But second, and more important, do they know, like, and trust you? That's kind of the chicken before the egg, because if you don't have a lot of experience and you can't ride on your experience, then it becomes a little more challenging. For me right now, I can show somebody, hey, I've done thousands of deals and I can really lean on my experience. And I can kind of like crutch on that a bit for someone that maybe doesn't know me very well to then lend me the money. 
that wasn't always the case. When I first started in fix and flip, I didn't have experience. I didn't have deals under my belt. And so I had to find a way to help people feel comfortable. I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to pay them on time. Your money's in, a, in something that's safe and secure. And so those resources where I went to that My Funding Kit link, myfundingkit.com, the majority of that resource is how to do that. There's a PDF that you give somebody that actually explains how to invest in real estate, why it's a good investment, why it's safe, how it's secure. I go through steps that you have to explain to somebody. Here's how it's going to work. Once you lend me the money, here's how the money gets put to use. Here's how, the, here's how you get paid every month. Here's how it gets paid back. Here's how it's secured on title with a lien. You have to have the vernacular. You have to ha be able to communicate effectively, which means you need to learn the vocabulary of finance and then be able to explain it in layman's terms to somebody who doesn't know. Someone who's never done this before, they don't, they don't know how this works. But if you communicate it effectively, they will lend you their money because their money's not earning 10% right now. Most people, they don't know how to earn 10, 12%. And even if you pay them 15% on that 20% money, if you think about 15% on 40,000 versus 10% on 40,000, the difference is peanuts and how much you're paying them, but getting the $40,000 to then allow you to do the deal that makes you 60,000 in profit, it's huge. The $40,000 to do the deal is where all the magic is. Why? Hard money's easy, private money is where the game is at. That's where you transition into becoming a flipper. Being able to raise the 50,000 from this person, the 100,000 from that person, and you get four or five or six people that all have a little bit of money. And now you're doing 10, 12 deals a year, just like that. Not only is it only a couple hundred thousand dollars, but think about it. If you borrow 50,000 from somebody and it's a six month deal, that means you can do two deals with their 50,000 in one year because it's a six month deal. So that 50,000 allowed you to do two deals, not one deal, two deals. And that's just this year. That same $50,000 next year is two more deals. And the following year, two more deals. I've made millions of dollars on the same $100,000 investor on the secondary money over years. And mm -hmm. they compound that money because when I pay them off and I give them the interest, that money goes back into their IRA, tax deferred or tax free, right? Because they can't spend that money if it's in the IRA. So then they turn around and lend me 110. And then they lend me 120. And then they lend me 150. So I have, I have investors that started with me 10 years ago and 15 years ago where I've doubled their money and they keep relending me the new capital. It's just massively huge to your investing career to learn how to go out and start talking to these private money investors. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. What I do to really win them over is I want to over-communicate the safety of the deal. Private individuals are most concerned about safety then they are about return on investment. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? It's less about you paying them 12% over 15%. I mean, that's attractive, but it's more about, are you going to pay me back? Am I going to get my $100,000 back? That's, that's concern number one. Concern number two is, okay, well, how much am I going to make lending you my money? So we tend to think the other way. We tend to think, you know, if I just throw more of an interest rate at them, they'll be more excited to lend me money. And it's actually not true. In fact, studies show that the higher the interest rate, the less safe people feel because they feel like it's more risky, which is why you're offering more of an interest rate. What that means is it means you've got to really communicate the value of your deal. So what I'll do with investors is I'll say, look, 
Here's a breakdown of the condition it's in right now. Here's a breakdown of comps of what I can resell this for. Here's bids for my contractors. Not only do I have bids for my contractors, I have three bids for every single trade and every single item on the rehab. I got this all together here. And I want to walk you through why this is a good deal, why it's safe for you, how you're protected, how we're going to put a lien on your investment on the property. If I get hit by a bus, you take back the property and get your money back. All of those things around safety need to be the primary way of communicating to that private investor. Hey, Jerry, that was that gave me a lot of good ideas. And I, I had a personal question. If there is a recession and the value of the property goes down, how do you handle that? Or how do you set up your deal to, to be ready to handle that? And how would you address that with a family member who's lending you money and is asking that question? We need to be bringing that into our dialogue with the market slowing down. So first, let me explain how I'm looking at fix and flip, and then maybe some ideas on how to communicate a slowing down in the marketplace. When the market slows down, what it does not mean is it does not mean that there are no longer buyers that want renovated homes. What it does mean is it means buyers can now be more choosy. And it also means that if the market's going to slow, then days on market are going to increase which means we may be sitting on our properties a little bit longer than we were before. It does not mean that buyers don't want fully renovated homes. There is still a demand for that. There will always be a demand for that. I flipped houses right through the 08 crash, which was a huge crash. And I was still flipping houses month in and month out because buyers still want to live in houses and buyers still want newly renovated houses. So a couple adjustments that I'm doing that I think every flipper should be thinking about is we need to be a little more conservative on ARV. If we're looking at past data on the past six months of what homes sold for, then we can't be thinking that it's going to continue to go up and that in six months from now, I'll sell it for more. So I'm tightening up a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit on my ARV. I want to be a little more conservative because we base ARV on historical data. Well, that's okay. But it doesn't factor that in six months from now, values could be a little bit lower. So if my ARV on paper looking at historical data is 350, maybe I go 325 with an ARV to anticipate a little bit slowdown or that I can sell my house a little quicker by pricing it a little bit lower. The second thing I'm doing is I'm stepping up my rehab game, meaning man, we were getting away with whatever we wanted with rehabbing. Like the rehab bar was so low for the past couple of years, especially since COVID. I was leaving kitchen cabinets. I was, you know, lipsticking on a pig, carpet paint, throw it back up, sell it for, you know, $100,000 more done. That roof that I left before, I better replace it. That Those cabinets, I better replace them. Those floors, I better replace them. So I'm going back to traditional fix and flip, which is how do I make a beautiful home that a buyer can't say no to. I'm stepping up my rehab game again. Why? Because when a buyer goes out, if there's no houses, they're going to buy whatever's available, which means I don't have to do much. But if they've got choices, then they're going to pick the nicest house. And so I want to be that nicest house. The way yeah. then we have that conversation is we say, look, if someone says, you know what, man, Matt, I, 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 I'd like to lend you. I've got money. I've got $100,000. I'd like to lend that to you. I'd love to get you know, 10%, 12% interest on my money. That sounds great, but man, I'm just a little concerned about the real estate market. I mean, interest rates are going up. Is the market going to slow down? I'm a little concerned about that. That's going to come up in your conversations. And so how do you address that, right? How do you talk about that? 
And so the way that I talk about it with my investors is, is, is I tell them, I say, look, I also have that same concern. So what that means is I'm less aggressive on what I can do with my deals. Rather than going with an aggressive after repair value, I'm factoring in that it may sell for a little bit less. I'm building more margin in. Instead of turning this deal in four months, I'm going to factor in six months. Just communicating that you're going to up your game and you factored in the things that may affect a slowdown is how you reassure somebody that it's still a viable deal. Hey, this is David uh, asking a question for Paul Myers, who just had his fourth baby. Uh, <laughs> he says he's, he's borrowed a quarter million to half million dollars from family and close friends, and he's never borrowed hard money. And he's wondering if he can raise 100% of his project from private at 4 to 8% with no points. Should he continue to do that? No, great question. So you need to leverage that access to capital you have a whole lot better. Don't tie up 100% of their money on deals. Think about it this way. If hard money will give you 80% and it's easy to get, they'll lend it to you right now in a nanosecond. Get that easy money, even though it's more expensive. It's not that much more expensive. It's a little bit more, but it gives you so much more freedom to do so many more deals and bigger deals. Use your family's 250,000 to cover the 20% you're short and now look what you can do. You can do 10 times the deals and you can do bigger deals. So now instead of going after marginal deals or like, you know, ARVs in the 200s and 300s, now you can go do a 600 ARV, borrow where you're borrowing hard money and you're using your family's private money on the 20%. And now you're doing bigger deals and more deals for the same money with the same money you had before. Let's say that you had 100,000 and let's say that you're doing deals where you need 100,000. Well, hard money will give you 80, which means if you took the 100 and you did the 20%, you could do five deals with that 100,000 instead of one because now you're spreading that 100, 20 at a time over five deals. Right. The same thing applies with you on the 250. You can do a whole lot more and that money you have is flexible because it's family money. So you can piece it around. You can put 50 here, 100 there, 50 there. I imagine they're giving you some flexibility with that money. Yeah, they definitely are. And I figured that would be yeah. my eventual. So I guess if I'm doing what you're doing and I can do five times more deals, the limiting constraint would be project management, my own capacity or my own general contractor's capacity to manage projects. Well, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that you're adding capacity as you do more deals, right? But definitely you've got to be able to manage more deals, which is a whole nother skill set. And I'm glad you recognize that because it's one thing to be a onesie twosie flipper and it's an entirely different game to create a business model that allows you to do, you know, 10 deals. That's a skill set that as you get good at finding deals and as you get good at raising capital, one of your next constraints is going to be bandwidth to manage. And this is an area that I spend a lot of time teaching and focusing on as well, because getting capital and getting access to deals, that third prong is management. Setting that aside for a second, what you don't want to do is learn how to manage, learn how to find, and then have constraints on capital because you're tying all of your family capital on, up on one or two deals. You don't want that constraint. And you actually are in a phenomenal position because in my opinion, $250,000 in, in secondary flexible money that you have. Well, let's do the math. If you're using that for 20%, you said it's 250,000 is what you got? Yeah, about 300,000. Okay, let's take 300,000 
you can do 1.5 million in capital because 1.5 at 20% is 300,000. So if you went out and did 1.5 million in capital deals, your average deal, you need around 200,000, let's just say 250. Well, 1.5 million in access to capital divided by 250 means you could do six deals, but that's if they're six month deals, you could double that if you're doing six month deals. So you literally could do 12 deals a year if you borrowed 80% hard money and used your family money for the 20%. You could be doing 12 deals right now, assuming yeah. you could find them and assuming that they were selling for you know 300,000 or so. I, think I, I mean, look just... at how you can leverage that money you've got. It's amazing. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I think just having you teach me through your podcast to add on flips, add on a fix and flip every fourth deal has yeah. taken us from last year where we didn't flip any homes and we did 27 deals. And this year I'm, I've, I've done a flip and made 52. I just sold one for 340 that I made 67 on. And then I'm about to sell a third one that I'll make 70 on. So that's changed our, it's increased the gross revenue of our, our wholesaling company substantially. You know, not only that, there's another way to look at that Right now, you're learning how to fix and flip and you're doing phenomenal because you're making, I mean, those profits are amazing. Like that's really, that's really awesome. You should be so proud of yourself and your progress you're making. But there's another way to look at this. You don't want to stay in those mid ranges long term because those deals you're doing, if you were to do a 600 ARV, the only thing that's really going to change is you're going to be doing a little bit nicer neighborhood, same rehab. Same kitchen, same countertop, same everything to go from 300 to 600. The quality and the process of renovating and the contractors, the materials, none of that changes for the most part. Maybe the house is a little bigger. Maybe it's a, maybe the square footage is a little bigger. Uh, definitely more capital, that changes. But as far as the mechanics of fixing and flipping 600 versus 300, it's essentially the same time, energy, and effort. Right. But your profits double, triple, and quadruple when you start to go up in ARV. Where I'm going with this is pretty soon your 70K threshold for a deal for fix and flip is going to become 90 and 110. If you decide in 110 and 150 and 300 and 500. And if you keep progressing and do the path I've taken, there's going to become a day in the not not very far off future where you're doing a million dollar profit deals. You can do that in residential. In fact, the higher up you go, the less competition. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's when you tell me that you've done those deals, that's where I get excited. I don't get excited that you did 50, 70. That's awesome and amazing. But learning the game of flipping, if you have the mindset to progress into the higher margins, what you're learning now is a skill set that's going to make you millions a year flipping. And that's exciting. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I love it. Thanks so much. Keep tearing it up. That's super cool. Super proud of you. I know we only have a minute here left, Jerry. Um, James had mentioned, I know you said like <laughs> the the policy of, hey, if I get hit by a bus, uh, it'll be okay still. What, what is that? A uh, what, what specifically is that within like the paperwork and whatnot? Like how do you, uh, he was just asking. Yeah. About yeah. So uh, again, and those resources I give really explain this well. What's so unique about real estate and why real estate is such a, such a good investment for 
you know, like non-accredited people, everyday type of people, IRA money, is when we borrow that money, what we're going to do is we're going to secure that money with a lien on the property, just like a bank does. That $40,000 that they lend you on the deal, there's paperwork, and I actually included in that resource, that will lien the property in the amount of the loan. And if you think about it, there's two documents in a loan. There's the promissory note, which is the promise to pay the money back. And that's got the interest rate and the due date, right? It's the terms of the loan. And then the second document is the really special one in real estate. And that's the mortgage or deed of trust, depending on the state you're in. And that's what secures the real estate to the loan. It's what pledges the asset as collateral. So now the house is pledged as collateral for that $40,000 loan. I never say, if I default on my loan, you can foreclose and take the property back. I never say it that way. That doesn't sound good. What I say is I say, if I get hit by a bus, then you can foreclose, take back the property and be made whole on your investments. Not only can they be made whole on their investment and get their 40,000 back, but they can keep any upside too if they sell the property, for, if it sells for more than their investment. So the ability to collateralize the real estate on those loans is what makes real estate so safe and attractive. Now, you've got to be able to communicate that. You've got to have the vernacular, the vocabulary. You've got to be able to explain the process. Here's how it works. Here's the paperwork. And be able to do it in layman's terms so that a normal person can understand it. And that those resources I give really help you learn how to do that in, a, in an effective way. I love this topic, Matt and David, and I hope that you know everybody listening embraces this, this next thing. You know, capital is just like learning how to do acquisitions. It's just a skill set. It just takes practice, it just takes application. And next thing you know, you've added another skill set to your investing tool belt and opens up all these new doors to be able to do bigger and better and more things. So it's exciting to learn how to do. Gary, yeah. you're a fucking genius. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this was awesome. Really, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, you're welcome.